0: Falls in the air, and that means that ERAS is opening soon. So we have a special episode here at EM Stud to welcome you guys into this season of applications. This is Scott Weiders, your EM Ed coach here with the EM Stud podcast. And I'd like to introduce my co-host, uh, Dr. Nate Lewis. Nate, how you doing out there, buddy?
1: Man, I am doing great. I am so excited. Uh, just as you mentioned, this is going to be uh, an application season like no other. One that uh, you know, none of us even imagined would be here in this sort of style and format, but it's it's very exciting. And as you mentioned, Eris is opening up pretty soon, uh, and we're getting ready to to start looking at applications. We're ready to go.
0: Well, great. I know I've gotten a lot of questions from both students, um, you know, some of the faculty on what do we do about this year. And today we want to kind of encourage our students that uh, there's not a lot of consensus on some things. And so we're going to take some of these hot topics and questions that a lot of us have been fielding, and we're going to pitch those balls to a friend and an expert.
1: Welcome back, of course, Dr. Adam Kellogg. You've been on the show now, I don't know, six or seven times. I don't know exactly.
2: Does this make me a returning champion?
1: <laughs> it absolutely does. And one of the reasons why we wanted to invite you back last minute here, right before the heiress deadline, is that your recent blog post on EM Advisor specifically addresses some last-minute questions, which uh, you know I think is very helpful for students that still have some some unease, perhaps, about their applications. So, Scott... You know, you and I have had a little bit of a back and forth over the years in terms of, you know, how exactly to fill out an NRS application. You know, I'm, I'm more of a paragraph guy, and I know you're more of a bullet point kind of a guy. But, you know, let's ask Adam, does, does that really matter? When you're describing your work, research, volunteer experiences, does it really matter if you're writing these down in bullet point format or in paragraph format?
2: Well, part of what prompted me to write this post is I often – ideas come from things that i'm getting from students that i'm advising and i've never seen so many people so worried about making their eras application perfect and i think that that's because there we have just less to do this year it's you know you can make a sourdough starter you can you know do woodworking or you can try and polish your ERAS application to like a perfect glow and get it just right and This is one that I've been, you know, getting a lot more of, but I don't really think that there is a difference. I mean, I've been reviewing applications for over a decade and it doesn't make a difference to me, whether they're in bullet point or they're in paragraph format. I know that there are probably some folks who prefer one to the other, but I don't think it's going to change anything about the assessment someone makes of a student's application based upon whether they used bullets or paragraphs. Just so long as they put the important information in there. And didn't don't put so much in that nobody reads
0: it because there's just too much too too many words there. Oh, Adam, I thought you were going to have my back on this one, man. There was like only one way to do this, and it's definitely bullet points. But no, you're right. I think as long as it's uh, as long as it's readable, it's um, organized and it's concise yet descriptive, they're going to be fine. So uh, although I might have my opinions, and I know Nate has his, that's a uh, that's good to know. I'm, I'm reassured by that, man. So uh, let's get into this next uh, hotly debated topic. So I know there's been a lot of Zooms and, and big meetings and things like that. I, um, I helped do a, a panel for TSEP, our Texas College of Emergency Physicians, and we had all of our program directors from Texas on a, on a uh, big Zoom with our students. And the, the debate came up about personal statements and how personal should they be? Um, so one of the things that I feel pretty strong about is that you know this year the personal statements might mean more and and you have to have this like personalized statement like why am I going to come to Texas or why am I going to come to the northeast or the northwest and maybe you know something about that program or your interest but I thought that people were all going to feel they all had to be personalized but Nate you don't think that's the case right I mean you're kind of a contrarian on this one aren't you?
1: You know, I, I don't really feel like uh, y- you need to personalize your personal statement to programs. I mean, it really just needs to be personalized to you, uh, would be my take.
0: Well, Adam, what do you think, man? What's the real answer here? Who's right? I didn't realize I had to settle all of these debates. You could have warned me that that's what I was supposed to do here. It's um, a podcast marriage counseling
2: session. You didn't know that? You're going to get my bill. It'll be in the mail, I promise. <laughs> um So on this one, I went and made a pretty rapid turnaround because I'm trying to be adaptable to this. I know I have a tendency to be sort of very opinionated and stuck in my ways. And uh, this was one where I was a strongly on the side of personal statements with Nate where they just, you make one personal statement that represents you and don't try and customize it. Um, Even had heard from other folks I talked to that uh, you would come across as appearing, you know, kind of almost desperate if you were to really customize that personal statement. And just the idea that someone applying to 30, 40, 50 programs is writing 30, 40, or 50 personal statements, I just felt for anyone who sort of had put that much work into something that is not rated terribly high by program directors as to changing whether they're going to offer an interview or not. But this year is different. This year, is there's less information. And I've come around to the side where, for some people, it may make some sense to do some customization on it I still think the majority of program directors are not going to move their, sort of, uh, their decision-making around whether to offer an interview on the basis of the personal statement. But I think it may be a way to uh, convey to somebody that you do have a genuine interest in some place that isn't obvious from where you went to medical school or where you went to college or where you were born. Though I'm a huge fan of the hometown the new feature in the last couple of years ERS has had that's allowed people to sort of uh, just mark up very quickly, very succinctly, these are places that I have a connection to, whether it's because you went to school there or you've just got family there, something that maybe didn't come across in the application, it's perfect for. And I really like the hometown feature for doing this in a lot less space and let the personal statement be sort of more a description about what you really kind of, uh, what your journey has been
0: and what you're looking for. Oh, shoot. So there's not a right way to do it. Okay. Well, maybe next time.
1: <laughs> no, I, I think that's a great point. And, and you know, uh, all joking aside, I think one of the things we want to stress to students is that wh- whatever approach you've taken, uh, you really should be able to feel comfortable with that. Um, there just isn't enough uh, consensus of people who, you know, want specific geographic uh, centered statements versus just one generic statement that, you know, you really... Uh, nobody should be rewriting their personal statements at this point. It's, it's just really not uh, going to be that uh, that useful. Oh,
2: yeah. Please don't. Get it done. Keep it under a page. Get it submitted. Go have a nice walk in the sunshine.
1: So another question that comes up, Adam, and that you uh, mentioned in your post, but, you know, another one that I think is, is good to bring up, I've gotten a few questions about this as well, is, well, what do I do with these holders that I have for letters of recommendation? You know, obviously everybody, you know, by now should be aware that they need to have an E-slow, Um, and then there will be additional letters sort of in that bunch. But if I'm a student who's waiting for a letter to come in, do I hold that spot? Do I just submit, you know, two or three or do I go ahead and fill up all four and send it to them afterwards? I mean, what's really the best strategy now?
2: I mean, I think it probably depends on what the student's individual circumstances are. If you've got an e-slow in, you're sort of one e-slow that everybody kind of needs to have, the rest of it probably doesn't matter so much. But there are some folks who got to do, especially like uh, coming from an orphan school, maybe didn't get to do their rotation until late, or they have some worries about their application. They really think that a second rotation will help them. You know, I think that while we sort of have set the expectation that nobody needs more than one e-slow, a second e-slow can make sense and no one's going to hold it against you if you have one. And for somebody coming from an orphan school that doesn't have those advantages or coming from a school that uh, my school, University of Massachusetts, has two totally separate EM residencies. And while our students were not allowed to rotate anywhere else, they weren't allowed to go go on the road, they were allowed to rotate at both programs. And we are two totally separate programs, so our students are going to have two letters. And a lot of students are going to have that. And the consensus has been among sort of everybody I've talked to in the residency director world is we're not holding that against students to have two letters. If you have four different e yeah, you're probably going to get some questions about that. That may, uh, people may feel like you were taking opportunities from other students, but not for two. So if you're going to hold a spot for something, that's what I would hold a spot for, would be for an e slow that's coming in late that may really make the difference in your application. Otherwise, have
0: at least three letters in on October 21st, ready to go. Yeah, I think the people really care about the true slows, and those are the ones that need to be in. I think if you're just waiting on uh, you know, an extra letter from a rotation that you've done, those traditionally haven't carried as much weight. And so I think it's fine to just allow that to land when it does, as long as it's reasonable. So I wouldn't make too much stress over this if you're still having one outstanding letter, uh, unless it's a true e-slow. That one probably needs to be in early, I think.
1: And, you know, I'll bring this up also. One thing that I don't think all students necessarily realize is, yes, we do look at other letters as they come in. And even though we will look for a slow, we will look for you know, most of your application to be complete, when we decide to offer interviews, we realize that this is a rolling process and that, you know, letter writers can sometimes be a delay. And really, when we're looking at the application to sit down and rank people, that, that's that's still months out from now. And so I, I don't personally feel like students should necessarily worry too much if they're, you know, still waiting for that last letter to, to slip into their application. All
0: right. Well, there you have it. Um, Adam, the the question I keep getting from people is about interview numbers, and I know that a lot of the residency programs, fellowship programs, have been increasing their numbers that they are offering. Uh, I've seen this in our medical school admissions process and residencies and fellowships. Uh, So, you know, the common question I get is I know in the past we said that, you know, you'd have a 95% chance of matching if you did maybe 11 interviews or so, Uh, but how is that going to be changed this year, and what do you think about how many interviews students should go on? I mean, that, that's a great
2: question. I wish I had a rock-solid answer to it. Um, what I've found from talking to different programs is that, you know, for the students, they can increase the number of places they apply to, spend all that travel budget on now more and more and more applications but we don't have that it's going to take us longer to do each interview day cuz we've got to do it virtually and we're a bunch of old cats and teaching old cats zoom has been a real challenge so far for all of our conferences and so we expect it's going to be more work for each interview day and we know we're going to want to bring more people in because there's more applicants and we have less ability to sort of accurately screen who we're going to who's the right people to bring into interview So we're gonna do more, I think everyone's gonna do more, but it's not gonna be double like some applications may be. It's gonna be maybe 15, 20, maybe 25% more interviews than we would do in a normal year. And so what I'm advising folks is to, you know, maybe bump up the number of interviews they complete a little bit. If that magic number was somewhere between 10 and 12, you know, with a really good 90 plus percent chance of matching, if you have 10 interviews and you know up to 95, 97, if you get to 12, that may be somewhere in the 12 to 15 with kind of topping out around 15. You know, unless you have really unusual circumstances like a complicated couples match. Other than that, I don't think you need to do, really do more than that. But I get people wanting to do more because this is your chance. This is how you're going to get to know programs. You don't get to go and see them. So this is going to be your opportunity to do it is, is doing this, um, doing more interviews. So I get that people are going to want to complete more, but from a list standpoint, I really don't think much more than 12 to 15 is probably going to be necessary this year.
1: Moving on to the next question, understandably, you know, students should really not be trying to go on many, many more interviews than what's been recommended in the past. But, you know, given the difference in the application uh, process this year and all of the other factors that are going into this, uh, do students really need to consider applying to more programs to get the same number of interviews?
2: I really don't think so. And I really don't think that students are gonna completely listen to this, but I haven't really changed the messaging on this because I would rather somebody spent the time looking into programs, trying to really figure out what it is they're looking for. How well do they match up academically and geographically with the program? And geographically is, you know, that makes sense. That just regions you're tied to, but the academically piece, you know, are you do you fit for the degrees of the people who are in that program? Do you fit for the board scores that they describe either in EMRA match or in, or Frida or someplace you know on their website where they specify what board scores they're looking for? Do you actually fit uh, what their specialties are? If they're a big wilderness medicine place, do you have that background? And picking out places that that's how you figure out who makes sense and who who fits for you and if they have that core of applications of places that where they make sense that just makes sense where you are what they're looking for and they're what you're looking for it doesn't you know a a, bullet, a bunch of other places above and beyond that isn't really going to change anything i don't think it's really going to help you i'm sure people are going to do more because it's what they can do and nobody wants to go through that twice but i really don't think it's going to help and i'd rather they put that time and effort into trying to learn as much as they can about programs or all these great online Zoom-based sort of interactions that you can do. You know, People are putting out a lot more social media content to really help you get a feel for a program. And I'd rather you spent the time going through that stuff and trying to get an impression of it than just clicking on more uh, more applications, because you're going to have to do that, go through all those things in order to get a better sense of the programs. You're not really going to be able to tell nearly as much on interview day by a Zoom interview.
1: Yeah. So uh, l- let me just go out on a limb here and say something crazy. I mean, what you're describing actually sounds very reasonable and really not that different from what we've told people in previous years. Uh, And it sounds like even though the the pandemic and the change in the application um, formats this year uh, really has caused a lot of anxiety, the answer is not to – hit the panic button and just apply to a million more programs and go on a million more interviews. Is, is that basically what you're saying?
2: That's much more concisely said than I said it. Yeah, I don't know what you guys are doing, but at, at uh, my department, my program, we have never put more effort into getting information out there and helping people get a sense of what we're all about. And I think a lot of places are doing that, and so it's much less of a mystery as to what people are getting into. I think, you know, there's never been more information for the students to decide if they're going to want to do interviews, uh, even apply to us. And I think that that's, you know, that's one of those like pandemic positives things, you know, trying to find the silver lining is I don't think we're going to go back the other way. I think we should be doing more outreach and more sharing of what we're all about as a program makes you sort of really think about what you're offering as you're trying to figure out how to kind of put it out there and advertise it out there. Not just sitting back, knowing the applications are going to come pouring in because EM is... You know, EM is a specialty that gets, you know, a good amount of attention.
1: Yeah, it sounds like really what we're saying is that the students should not feel like this is more work on their part because of the circumstances this year. But really, um, you know, it's, it falls on us as, as programs to, to kind of step up our game and, and make sure we're doing more holistic reviews and, and putting more information out there for them.
2: It's going to be hard. I hope they're going to be patient. Because it's a very compressed, uh, very compressed interview season. You know, we have a lot less time to review everything and kind of get the interviews going. And so, I think it's going to be a very rolling process. And folks who don't have ten interviews by October twenty fifth should not be panicking.
0: Now that's good advice, Adam. I've got one very, very important question to ask you uh, up next. So, let's say I'm interviewing and I'm, you know, in my house. I'm in a room by myself. Should I wear that N95 mask just to show how knowledgeable I am about infection control during my interview? Would you advise for that? Uh, Absolutely. I think two N95s, if you can get like a KN95 over a
2: regular like teal N95 is perfect. Um, If you just want to show you're knowledgeable, all you need is you just need to have that abrasion across the bridge of your nose that we all have. And that's how people know that you spend some time clinically and you've seen some stuff.
0: Well, there you have it, folks. Yeah. (laughs) Well, guys, thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom today. I know the students are are hungry for that. I know there's a lot of uh, anxiety out there, and it's understandable. But we hope that the advice we've given you today, the points that have been made, uh, the wisdom that's been shared has really, I think, comforted us to know that we're going to get through this. We're going to go through this match cycle. It's going to be different. It's not going to be what we expected, but we're going to get through it. And we hope to see you guys uh, on the interview trail. We hope to see you guys well and hope that your goal of becoming an EM stud comes true. So special thanks to our friend, Dr. Adam Kellogg, for coming on today. Uh, If you'd like to reach out to him, you can follow him at Kellogg underscore EM on Twitter. And also take a look at his blog, which is emadvisor.blogspot.com. We also want to send a special thanks to our parent organization, the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine. Feel free to reach out to them at saem.org. And also, feel free to look at our past episodes wherever you get your podcast or our home website at emstud.com. On behalf of my colleague, ER Dr. Nate, this is your eMed coach, Dr. Scott Weeder signing off for another edition of the EM Stud podcast. Rotate well, my friends.